give him our everything, church, all our hearts. Buried beneath my shame, who could carry that kind of weight? It was my dream till I met. You come. 
shall we fear in the midst of your presence? Would you fill the hearts and homes of everyone who's engaging in holy worship right now, Lord? We worship you in freedom today. When darkness tries to roll over my bones, yes. sorrow comes to steal the joy I own. When brokenness and pain is all I know, declare this today. I won't be shaken. That's right. I won't be shaken. Can we make this our declaration, church? My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I
you to be seated right now and there should be on your chair or the chair next to you a little communion packet and for those of you who are gathering with us online if you want to get the bread and the juice whatever you use for communion we're preparing to receive communion together you know Jesus said that we should do this in remembrance of him and he promised that whenever we came together like this, he'd be there in our midst. And church, I want you to know that the living God is in this moment for you. Because what he wants to do for each one of us, for you this morning, is to renew our sense of his grace and of his love for us. You know, when I was a boy, and I had done what was wrong. My mom, my dad would always insist that I admit what I had done. And there was a part of me at the time that resisted that, didn't want to do that, didn't want to admit it. And then there was a part of me that felt something changed in me when I did. And I confess, my mom would hug me in the same way, God says, Greg, I have so much grace to give you. I have a gift that will renew you on the inside. All you have to do is confess your sin to me. We don't always or often do this in communion, but the Holy Spirit spoke to me this morning and said, Greg, when you lead my church in communion today, invite my people to confess their sins. I will meet them in that. Can I, can I just invite you before we receive his grace to bow your head, close your eyes. Give yourself and those around you a sacred space. Is there something you need to confess to your Savior this morning? Maybe it's the way you talk to your wife or husband or your kids. Maybe it was a lust or your temper or greed or some selfishness that invaded a friendship this week. You need to say, Lord, I, I confess my sin. I'm sorry, forgive me of my sin. That was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. In the moment that you and I confess our sins, a good and gracious Father God meets us, gives us his love and his grace. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning and they're new here for you. God, thank you for the gift of confession. Thank you for what you give us in our confession. 
Friends, this little communion packet can be confusing. It's got two parts to it. You peel back the top and you'll see the bread there. And then if you peel back the next little tab underneath it, you will find the juice underneath there. So it's kind of a two-part thing. The Bible says that on the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. He said, receive it. Let me give my grace to you. Receive it. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. Let's receive together. Lord Jesus, we are thankful this morning that you went to the cross for our sins. I thank you, Lord, that you went to wash away mine. And you didn't go from duty you went from love. God, I worship you this morning. We worship you together. And we receive your sacrifice. We receive your serving in humility, in thankfulness this morning. We receive it from your hand. The Bible says afterwards that he lifted up the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant. Jeremiah says it won't be like the old one. It won't be commandments written on tablets of stone. It'll be a love for God and for one another written on our hearts. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. He said, take it and drink it in remembrance of me. Let's receive together. Lord, we pray this morning that you would teach us the faith that believes in your sacrifice above all else, that rests in what you have done for us. We praise you this morning. God, cause us to rise up from receiving your grace with hearts and minds turned away from the sin that you save us from. We pray for that. We ask it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we continue in worship, church? That's why we give you our everything, our whole hearts, the most worthy one.
worship you this morning because you are worthy to be worshipped. Nothing compares to the promise that we have in you. Jesus, we remember that you said whenever two or more of us would come together, you'd be there in our midst. And we glorify you this morning. We call you our Savior, our King, our Master. We worship you, Lord. Be glorified in your church. We thrill to be called your people. And we seek you, Lord, with all our hearts, with all our minds. Meet us in this place. As we open our hearts to your word, we pray it, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It is great to see you, friends. Welcome to Second Service. Would you take just a moment and say hello to the person next to you? Make them feel welcome. Just take a moment to say hi to somebody. team and good morning to everybody again. Hey, before we go forward, yeah, amen. Before we go forward, today we make progress. Today we make some real significant progress and I want to kind of dramatically share it with you. Today we moved back a little more from the restrictions and now the speaker and the lead worshiper doesn't have to wear a mask on Sunday morning. So amen. I'll put it back on when I sit down again because Pastor Darius is preaching this morning, but it's a step forward. It's a step forward, and thank you to everyone who has cooperated in this difficult time, but we're getting to the end. We're getting to the end. I talked to half a dozen people this morning who got vaccinated and, you know, are moving forward as well. I'm excited. It's good stuff. Freedom is around the corner. It is great to be with you this morning. Welcome to Second Service. We were supposed to have snow, though, right? Was anybody looking for snow this morning? My wife definitely was. She texted me in the middle of my prayer time in my office this morning and talked about how disappointed she was. That's the blessing that a wife can be to you, you know, in your life. But, no, I told her it'll come. It'll come sooner or later. But it is, it's good to be with you. A couple of quick announcements, and then uh, I'm going to invite Pastor Darius to come bring the word to us this morning. A couple of quick announcements. One is that uh, tomorrow night is Band of Brothers, our monthly men's dinner. be happening here in the sanctuary at 6.30, and you're invited. Bring a friend. Come and join us. We'll serve you dinner. Have a good word together uh, tomorrow night. So that'll be happening here in the sanctuary, fourth Monday uh, of every month. Uh, so tomorrow night, hope to see you for that. But also, church, we, we, we have a lot to, uh, to be thankful for tomorrow night and, uh, and to pray for tomorrow night. So uh, those of you who have been a part of MRCC for any length of time, you know that it has long been our dream, our prayer, to, to expand our facilities, to make more room. I mean, going down to that hallway for kids' church is just a jammed mess. And, you know, parking in the summertime and, uh, you know, pre-COVID, we, we have a lot of challenges in terms of space. 
And because we were in the county, not the city, we haven't been able to do anything. They won't let us build anything. They won't let us expand anything. We were unable to get any permits. So for several years now, we have been asking the city of Enumclaw each year if they would annex us into the city because under their guidelines, we can build, we can expand. Well, last year in the spring, they gave the beginning of a yes, and tomorrow night it's finished. Tomorrow night it's formal and complete. We're annexed in the city. So it's very neat, yeah, it, 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 and there's so many testimonies in it, gang. If I could just share with you very briefly, um, at the city council meeting where the decision was made, like I said, tomorrow night is kind of the, the putting the bow on it and filing the last of the paperwork and taking the last vote, but... At the meeting that, that we went to as a church and said, hey, uh, Claw, we're asking you to annex us. Um, you know, they have a bunch of professionals who give their recommendations, whether it's, you know, water or traffic guys and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, they have a job to do. And, and that night, I remember sitting there and, and every single expert that was called on, there was maybe five, six of them, said, you know, for this reason, we don't recommend it. For this reason, we don't recommend it. For this reason, we don't recommend it. And I thought, well... You know, once again, they're going to say no, but I said, Lord, you told us to keep asking, to keep praying. So in a minute here, I'm going to get up and ask. And so I did. And do you know that the city council, right after all those experts recommended against it, the city council unanimously voted for it. So church, you know what that means? It's because it's because we are giving a good witness to our community and they recognize that and they see that and they've expressed that individually. They've expressed that to us together and it's really a neat thing. So let's continue to do that, to serve and bless our community because we have God's favor. And, you know, kind of the last part of that story is that there's a team of wonderfully dedicated people in our church that have been working for the last two years to plan for buildings and what do we need and what will serve us best and how can we put the, make the, serving the kids the number one priority and how can we plan to do this in a way that we never ever have any debt all that kind of stuff and uh, they have been working hard on that for the last two years and tomorrow night kind of the first part of that whole process comes to an end that we can start sharing with you the dream and uh, and watching God do it going forward so can we just appreciate those guys that have been doing all that work yeah ton of work There's, there's, there's so much that happens in, in our little church that happens behind the scenes uh, where people serve, and most of us don't even know about it. And uh, this team has put together hundreds of hours, and uh, we're incredibly thankful to them. And we'll get to share some of their uh, insights with you after that uh, vote is final tomorrow night. Uh, you know, we, it's just a formality uh, tomorrow night, but just be in prayer. Ask God, hey, we're right there. Let's finish it, uh, and, and we'll be good. Pastor Darius, as you know, joined our leadership team here at MRCC in the fall, and um, he and his wife, Brittany, have already been a rich blessing to us as a church. They continue to be mentoring staff, growing our young adults ministry, working with our youth, and uh, the future with them is bright. Pastor Darius, I've asked him to come and preach this morning, so Pastor Darius, if you want to join us up here on the platform, and if you have your Bible, you're going to want to turn to Revelation chapter 2, and I just want to read this passage and then turn it over to Darius this morning. He's going to be preaching from a Revelation in chapter 2, uh, beginning with verse 1, and, and here's what the Bible says to us. Here's what God says to us, and then I'll turn this over to Darius, wherever he went. He's standing behind me. <laughs> Not totally comfortable with Darius standing behind me, but here we go. I don't want to know what's happening. <laughs> Here's what God says. 
These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds. I know your hard work and your perseverance. I know you can't tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered. You have endured hardships for my name, and you've not grown weary. Boy, that's a lot of affirmation. Yet, he says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Remember your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. We ask God's blessing on Pastor Darius as he preaches this morning. Lord, we pray that you fill our brother with your spirit. We know you have. Give us ears to hear as he opens your word for us. We pray it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. It is, uh, it is, it is unimaginable for me what it is like to pastor a church for um, over 10 years and have to and have to just hang out on a Sunday. So you know, we have an amazing pastor, and, and I'm super thankful to be on the team, Pastor Ray. This is cool. Um, just really quick, I just had to get this off my chest. Um, how many of you have ever heard that last song we sing? is called Shout to the Lord. Okay, you've, you've heard it before. Um, I didn't really grow up in the church all the time, uh, but um, I remember often when I was young and I would visit a church service, that song would be playing. That song came out in 1997, which means I was seven years old when that song came out. So depending on uh, where you were at in 1997, you may have been worshiping to that song the first time you heard it while I was playing Ninja Turtles in my backyard, which is... Very humbling for me. Also, I had someone come up to me before the first service. <laughs> and the last time I preached, I talk a lot about Star Wars. And, so, you know, I rep- I'm, not, I'm not ashamed of that, but I'm not particularly proud. And um, it's just who I am. And she said, she said I, I love having you on the team, and I'm, I'm so thankful to hear your, your youth and your energy. Sometimes you make me feel old. And I was like, wow, you shouldn't feel old. Um, and then I took all the Ninja Turtles um, points and um, metaphors out of my sermon for this morning. So we should be good now. should be good. For those of you who are closer to my age, um, shout to the Lord. Super fun song. I still love it. So uh, I'm a huge fan. Uh, we are going to jump in uh, to the message this morning because we're talking about uh, the series. And the name of the series is CrossFit. Um, I don't know if anybody in here actually does CrossFit, the exercise. Any CrossFit people in here? You, we would know if they were CrossFit people because they would have already shouted about it. Um, <laughs> it's like the opposite of Fight Club. <laughs> the first rule of CrossFit is always talk about CrossFit. <laughs> the second rule of CrossFit is always talk about CrossFit. But we're talking about CrossFit, the series, this morning, and the point is um, us growing, I love CrossFit people, us growing in love and godliness. And it's God helping us grow in our passion and in, in, in our practical working out, right? New Testament scripture tells us to work out our salvation, which is amazing. It means that we are still day by day growing, changing, working out the parts of our life that God is, is still transforming. And 
and I almost said the word fine-tuning, but I just want to be real. Um, I, I don't, God is not fine-tuning my life. He is constantly transforming, replacing parts of the engine, wheels, parts of the, the body of, you know, he's not just fine-tuning my life. God is constantly helping me work out big parts of my faith. And that is good news to me because it means God hasn't given up on me yet. And uh, CrossFit is an exciting series because God is not done with us. Just like Pastor Greg read in this, in this uh, passage in Revelation, he says, return to your first love. And he does. You know, every time there's prophecy in Scripture, it comes with great encouragement. And it, and it actually almost always ends with great encouragement as well, as does this passage. The end of this passage is a passage where God is calling his church stars. That's, that's, that's the theme of the passage in Revelation 2 and 3. And he says, to my stars, the seven stars of my church. That's how God thinks of us. But he does come to us and he says, listen, I want you to continue working out your faith. But in that, don't forget your first love. Remember the things. Do again the things that you did in the beginning. I want to talk about first love this morning. As we're talking about CrossFit and we're talking about growing in godliness, I want to talk about first love because I want us to love God this morning like CrossFit people love talking about CrossFit. Amen? All right. So... Um, I want to share really quick. When I was engaged to be married, now, I'm going to be a little bit romantic and sentimental for all of this morning. <laughs> Sorry. I, uh, I got engaged to be married when I was 20 years old. A large part of that was my wife and I didn't have, we supported each other uh, emotionally, spiritually, financially. Physically, we were each other's support system. That's just the way our life was that time. Uh, my wife didn't have a, she was in foster care. And so she had some support from some people, but she did not have a traditional family. My family at the time was in a really, really a place of upheaval and difficulty. And um, a lot of that has changed with my parents and stuff. But we were in a place where it was just kind of us and the world. And uh, part of the reason, though, that we got married when I was 20 and my wife was 19, which if you're single, anybody single in here? Okay, you don't have to shout it. Um, for the single people in here, stay away from the CrossFit, guys. Um, that's a joke. For the single people in here, you don't need to get married when you're 19. Um, but that's what my wife did. I was 20. Part of the reason was because we were just in love with each other, and it was an appropriate thing to do, so we did. I was engaged, though, and when you are in your 20s, you are really, really bad at relationships. And also when you're in your 30s and your 40s and your 50s and your 60s, and you know, pretty much all of us are just not that good at relationships, amen? So we're growing, but look, I was a 20-year-old guy. I, did, I had no sisters. It was testosterone-filled house, me, two brothers, my dad, my poor mother, poor, poor mother. And uh, I didn't know anything about girls, period, at all. And my wife and I had had a fight. So I spent most of my time with my wife at her apartment, uh, her student apartment that she had. Um, and I spent most of my time there. And before we had broken off to go sleep in our separate places that night, um, I, we had an argument and a fight. And I was a big, huge butthead. And um, if that word offends you, I apologize. But it is the strongest word I felt appropriate to use. And it's not nearly strong enough, okay? Okay. Um, 
And so the next day, I was at work, and I, my schedule was worked Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or sorry, did school Monday, Wednesday, Friday, worked Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, was at church for 12 hours on Sunday. And uh, so we were fighting. And when I say we were fighting, I mean my wife was probably asking for something and bringing something up that I needed to grow in, and I was being a total tool. And so the next, next day, I get off work, and I immediately, I make a beeline to go get flowers. And here's why. I knew that my wife had forgiven me, and she was going to be okay when I got home, when I came back to see her at her apartment. But I also knew in that moment that my fiancé at the time, that, that she deserved something more than just, uh, hey, everything's cool. And I just, I was overwhelmed. I'm a romantic person and I'm a very emotional person. So I was overwhelmed as I was getting off work. And I thought, you know what? I just need, I need, I had no money. <laughs> I think I spent $15 on flowers and I was like, well, not eating this weekend. And, and no joke. And uh, so I'm on the bus and I've got these flowers. I'm going to take the bus home from Seattle to Kirkland. And this guy starts talking to me, and he talks and looks at me with the same energy that somebody who sells wristwatches out of a trench coat does. And he looks at me, and he's, he sees me, and I'm kind of like noticing that he's noticing me, and I'm holding these flowers. And finally, he's like, hey, hey, what's the flowers for? I was like, uh, not you. And he was like, um, he was like, so uh, what's going on? What's the story with the flowers? And I said, well, to be honest with you, I'm engaged. I'm going to be married soon. And I really, really love my fiance. And I just want to be a good husband when I get married. And I was a butthead last night. And um, I, I really just thought, man, I want to sh show my fiance that I love her and care about her and that she's valuable. So I wanted to bring her these flowers. And he goes, oh, that's an okay idea. I wasn't really asking for like a grade on this project. And he goes, he goes, you know what I do though? <laughs> I was like, I don't want to know. And he goes, what I do, I wouldn't do nothing. <laughs> I was like, okay. He goes, I'd save the flowers for the big things. You know what I mean? When you really need them. And I was like, what do you think's going to happen in my relationship? <laughs> hey, hon. I have another family here, some flowers. Like, <laughs> that, the flowers are not going to be for that moment. And um, he was like, yeah, I'd save. I wouldn't do nothing. Because if you do nice things for nothing, then you got nothing in the bank when you do something really bad. You know what I mean? So don't set our, set our expectations as low as possible. And that was this guy's marriage advice. And I was like, oh, man, you know, I appreciate, I appreciate, I want to, I always want to be open to information. You know, have you been married for a while? He's like, me? No, I'm a bachelor. <laughs> okay. okay, cool, dude. Um, and that is the worst relationship advice I've ever received. And I've got some bad stuff. So um, I, 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 when I was first in love with my wife, I loved to do certain things. When we first fell in love, there is nothing sweeter than first love. There's not. And if you've never fallen in love with somebody, maybe you have a really good friend or you have a best friend. Or you remember not falling in love with them, but falling in like with them or, or, you know, becoming close with somebody or maybe a relationship with a parent or a sibling or even a pet where you're like, man, this is, a, you know, and you remember what it's like to really just form a bond with somebody. Well, if you've fallen in love, that's what it's, that's what it's like. It's just all of these moments that are these passionate, powerful moments. And there's nothing sweeter than first love. 
And that is what God is referencing when he talks to the church in Revelation. And he says, return to the love that you had first. Don't you remember don't you remember how much we used to love each other? Don't you remember what this time we used to spend together, the things that we used to do together, the way that I used to tell you I loved you and you used to respond in love to me? God's love for us, just, just for a second, God's love for us is practical, but it's practical because it's radical. Do you realize how much God just loves you and wants to be your friend? He says, he says, I'm going to let you off the hook for all of, you don't have to be a slave anymore, but I just want you to be a friend to me. And it's out of that friendship to God that we willingly decide to grow in godliness. Because when you, no one had to tell me to get flowers to my wife. There was, I, didn't, I didn't watch some kind of sermon that was like, and God was like, Darius, you know what you need to do. Get the flowers. And God sounds like Optimus Prime for some reason. But my point is, no one told me to do that. It wasn't one of those things. It came from inside me. When we first, when we first started seeing each other, my wife is also a romantic in, in her own way. Her, her love languages are different than mine, but she, you know, the way she expresses affection is different than mine. But she, would, she bought me a keychain. Like the first week we were married, she just bought me a keychain, and it had my name on it. And I was like, this is a very weird gift, but I feel very valued right now. She bought me, my, when we were dating and I was 17, when we started dating, I was 16 and my wife was 15. We were, we were both almost at our birthdays. And um, she bought me tickets. This is how I knew it was the real deal. She bought me tickets to go see Kenny Loggins in concert. And I was like, you're a keeper, lady. <laughs> she would just, she would, my wife would save up all of the money that she would get from anything. And she would spend it on me. She bought me a bike for my 18th birthday, a bicycle, because I didn't have a car to drive. All of the money she had, she spent on buying me a bicycle. Why? Because we were young and we were in love. It was, our, it was our first love and it was so sweet. And yeah, there were fights and there were stupid things and I was stupid and she was immature and I forgot her birthday. Okay, judge me. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I should be judged. I, one day I'll have to reckon for that before God. He'll be like, how did you forget my daughter's birthday? Um, in, in those moments of first love were so sweet. God's love for you is so much beyond that. God's love for you is so much beyond a trinket, a keychain, a bicycle, a computer. It's beyond Kenny Loggins. It's God's love for me and you. His, we're his first love. He didn't have to create us. He created us because he wanted to lavish us in love. He didn't need us. He just said, hey, I want you to exist so that you can be loved by me. God's love for us is wild. And in St. John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever should perish, or that no, that, that no one would perish, but whoever believes would have everlasting life. God's love, he's obsessed with us. His, his love for us is so sweet. I just want to invite you to remember that today. Do you remember that you are loved by God because you are a son or a daughter of God, that his love for you is lavish, it's royal, it's beyond comprehensible? Do you remember this morning that there is nothing that can separate you from God's love? Do you remember this morning when God rescued you? Do you remember when you were alone and you were divorced by your spouse and God was the only person who was there for you? Do you remember when you were 
hurting and you were mourning and grieving and God came to you and comforted you? Do you remember when you were a sinner and you were hurtful and you pushed away against God and he said, you can push at me all you want, but I'm too big to push away and I'll keep pursuing you. Do you remember the sweet love of God? Because that is the love that drives us. What would it look like for you to buy flowers for God? What would, it, what would that be for you, right? For me, I bought flowers for my wife because I knew that there was something special there, even though we had had a fight. And that, buying those flowers, and honestly, I felt even better after that guy gave me bad advice because I was like, if I'm not doing what he's doing, I'm on the right track. And in that moment, my love was elevated. What would you return to today? What did you used to do that you would return to today that would remind you of the fresh first love of God in your life? What I love about God is this, is that, is that God designed life to not be lived without monuments. Life is lived in moments, but it's seen through monuments, it's lived in moments, but it's seen through monuments. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, uh, here's a story. Is Abraham, is, uh, he's been asking God for a son for his entire life. All this guy wants is a son. You know, before my dad was married to my mom, he wanted a son. My dad's a romantic guy as well. He's just older and gruffer than I am. I'll get there one day. And... Uh, and he said, he said, you know, before, before I was married to your mom, I, I, I told God, if you give me a son, you can have whatever you want for me. That, my dad wasn't really even a Christian. And he said, God, if you give me a son, you can have what you want for me. He was praying to a God, hoping somebody was listening. That's the kind of hope God had, or Abraham had for a son. He just said, God, what I want is a son. Give me a son, God. And he was... He was close to 100 years old, and God answered his prayer. He said, Abraham, you and your wife, I'm going to give you a son, and this son is going to be the blessing to many people. Through your, through your descendants, many people will be blessed, and it's going to be your son. So he finally has a son. His name is Isaac. And one day, God says to Abraham, Abraham, you know how the gods around you and the religions around you, how they'll often sacrifice their children? There's a common practice in Abraham's day. It, yeah. In different forms and in different ways, sacrificing children and has been a practice throughout all of human history. And in this time, sacrificing their child on an altar like an animal was common. And God said to Abraham, Abraham, you know how it is common for people to sacrifice their children and worship. Molech was a God who was famous for this. Abraham said, yes. And God says, I want you to go and I want you to sacrifice your son, Isaac. So Abraham obeys because to him, even though this is deeply painful, he believes to be what God wants. And so, right, heavy-heartedly, he walks his son Isaac. He says, Isaac, we're going to go on a trip. And he takes his son out, and they go to the top of the hill, and Abraham prepares an altar, and he prepares his son to be sacrificed. He prepares his own hands, his own knife, to sacrifice his son, to kill him because he thinks it will please God. At the last moment, God says, Abraham, I want you to know 
Well, the subtext is God is showing Abraham, I'm not like the other gods. Other gods will require you to do something unthinkable. I am the God that loves you. You don't have to sacrifice your son. He provides a ram and it's over in the bushes. Abraham is relieved, right? Can you imagine? I don't even have kids. And this is so emotionally moving for me. The, it, the moment where God says, Abraham, you don't have to give up your son. In the relief of Abraham, I mean, he's got to be weeping at this point and just saying, God, thank you so much. I was so scared. I thank you. The amazing thing about this is that God is also foreshadowing the moment when he would say, you know, how it, wouldn't it be unthinkable for a father to have to sacrifice his son? He's foreshadowing the truth that God is willing to give us the life of his son so that he can make us his but in this moment, God creates a, he creates a monument. And Abraham does this before him and Isaac leave the hill. He renames the hill that they're on. He renames it. He, the new name of the hill, he calls it Jehovah, which is God's name, Jehovah Yerah. Um, and it means God provides. In Hebrew, the, the trans, literal translation is God sees. Because in Hebrew, they would believe that one of the uses of the word sees is provides. Because when God sees a need, God meets a need. And so when they... When Abraham leaves his place, he renames it and he says, he says, every time someone sees this hill, I want them to remember God sees us and provides for us. He cares about us. Can you imagine for the rest of his life, years later, he's with his son, he's playing with his grandkids, and they're out on a walk, and out of the corner of his eye, he sees this hill, and in a moment, the, all the memories come flooding back to him, and he remembers, that's the place when God told me that he was going to let me keep my son. That's the place where God saved me, where God changed me, and in that place, all of a sudden, Abraham is reminded, God is my savior, my provider, he sees me, he knows me, he hasn't left me. I'm his in this moment. One of the reasons that we tend towards sin is that we live life in moments and we forget the monuments that God's put in our lives. For me, my wife is a monument in my life. Not because she's perfect at all. Not because our marriage is perfect. It's far from it. We're both dysfunctional people. We both struggle with different kinds of mental health issues. We both have we both have trauma in our life and triggers, and we both have moments where it seems like we shouldn't even be able to work it out. But the reason that it's a monument in my life is it's a picture of the fact that God still loves me even though I am dysfunctional. That's the monument that Abraham makes. What is it that God has done in your life that is a monument? Because a monument to God in your life will remind you fresh devotion. A monument of God's love inspires a moment of renewed devotion. Have you lost the joy in serving your church because God wants to remind you that you are made to serve and there's joy in it? Have you lost the joy of being generous to people around you because God wants to remind me that he wants me to be a generous person. He wants there to be a monument of my life that he's not done with me. Have you lost and forgotten that God cares for you? You know, it's so easy to love people when you know that you're loved. It's so easy to love people when you know that you are loved. It's when we are afraid that we are not loved that we begin 
to hold things close to ourselves, to withhold affection from people, to withhold patience from people, to withhold intimacy from people, to withhold generosity from each other. These are the holiness that God calls us to. And when we live in fear, we pull tight and we cling on. But when we live knowing and looking at the monument, not being in the moment and saying, God, this moment is so frustrating, but looking at the monument and saying, God, I remember that I'm your son or I'm your daughter and I'm called by you and I'm named by you and you love me and you save me. And in the moment where I was in my deepest, darkest place, you were with me and you were present. You knew every moment that happened, you over saw and you saw everything that went down and you never left me God you're the God that has never failed me and that monument in life inspires fresh devotion in us what monument can we make today how can how can we respond to God what is the way for you that works for you to inspire fresh devotion to God Because, man, when I remember that God is for me, that he loves me, that although I am a sinner, he's redeeming me, that he's working my salvation out. When I remember that and I look at the monument of the cross and I remember the God that pursued me to the point of death, then for me, devotion becomes the natural outflow of my heart. No one has to tell me to buy flowers. All of a sudden, I just begin worshiping God. I begin reading scripture. I begin worshiping. It's different for every person, right? Every person's different. I begin serving again. I begin loving the people that God's put in my life selflessly again. My attitude changes. The reason that we can constantly have fresh love for God is not us, though. The reason that we can constantly have fresh love for God is this, is 1 John 4, starting in 8 but ending in 10, to to paraphrase it says, but God is love. And in verse 10 it says, this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be atonement for our sins. Not that... We love God, but that he loved us and sent us to be atonement for our sins. Sent his son to be atonement for our sins. Love never stops pursuing us. That's why love is always possible to be renewed with God. It's why our devotion is always capable of being renewed with God. Because right now, wherever you are, God's love is pursuing you. His love is chasing you down. David, when he writes in Psalms, in Psalm 23, he ends it by saying, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What he's saying there is, surely I know that God's love, his goodness, and his mercy will run me down. They will pursue me all the days of my life. This is the picture of God's love for us. The picture that God paints with Abraham. The love that he's telling them in Revelation. He's saying, remember your first love. Remember this. I love you so much that I would give everything for you. I love you so much that there is nothing that I wouldn't do for you. I love you so much that even if you are pushing away from me today, I want to draw near to you. Years ago, I was so angry at God. 
and I learned to be very honest because I didn't, I didn't, I thought that if I was angry at God, I needed to fix something. And then after I fixed it, then I could have intimacy with God. And someone led me on a journey and said, you know, Darius, God can handle your anger. If you think that he can't, you think that you're a lot more powerful than you are. And man, I was so angry at God. I was like a kid. Just coming up against God, like a you know, like a little kid if they're really angry at somebody. They're really angry at you. And you know, toddlers, they just outpunch their weight class so hard. They'll just hit, 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 hit. They have no idea that you could just crush them. <laughs> Don't do it. And this is the way that this is the way that I was with God. I was just so frustrated and angry about things that had happened. I was so frustrated. God, how could you let this happen? You know, my wife, when she was younger, she was abused. And I used to think, God, how could you let this happen? Don't you see how this affects our marriage? What's wrong with you? And I finally came to a point where I, I was just pounding away and saying, God, how dare you? How dare you? How dare you? And in the midst of that, I wore myself out. And I got to the point that spiritually I couldn't throw a punch anymore. And all I could do was lean against God. And God is not the God that stops pursuing us because we're fighting against him. God is the God that draws near to us when we want to push him away. And when I finally tuckered myself out and I wore myself out and I had no more spiritual energy left, I just leaned against God. And he just held me. And he said, Darius, it's okay. I was pursuing you both the whole time. Can I tell you today, God has been pursuing you the whole time. That's how this is CrossFit, because when we realize that we have a God that pursues us, we'll stop running, and we'll start running towards him. When we realize we have a God that pursues us, we'll say, yeah, God, you know what? Actually, it's going to be more fulfilling to serve you. Yeah, waking up on a Sunday morning early to go help with kids' church it might sound like it sucks, but when you are there and God's presence is filling you and you're feeling the full love of God in that moment between you and him and the kids in kids' church, all of a sudden, this renewed devotion actually becomes more fulfilling than sleeping in. Believe me, I like to sleep in. When I say, man, God, I don't have anything else to give. I, God, you, I've... I don't want to be generous anymore. I just want to hold on to all my stuff because it's scary and I don't know what the economy is going to do. There's, I'm not judging anybody. I, I'm like that. I don't like to give away my money. It scares me. But I realize that when I give, all of a sudden, the anxiety that I have about holding my money goes away when I give it away. And it's replaced with the joy of generosity of God in my life. This morning, we're just going to end this way. And I just want to sit in the presence of God for a moment. What is it in your life today? What would it look like for you in the room, for us? What would it look like for each of us individually to buy flowers for God? What would that be for me? Would it be renewed, renewed love for my reading of God's word? Would it be renewed study of God's of theology of God? Would it be renewed playing worship music? Would it be renewed working on a project with someone? Would it be renewed loving my spouse better? Man, single people in here, would it, would it just be renewed time with God? 
And some of you in here, you're single and you're saying, well, I've never fallen in love with anybody. Can I tell you, if you are single right now, this is the perfect time to just fall head over heels for Jesus. I know that might sound strange, but can I tell you, I'm married and my relationship with God is so much better than my relationship with my wife. I don't mean that in a negative way, but if my relationship with God, if I'm not full of the love of God every day, I have nothing to give. Man, if you are single in this place, can I just tell you, there's, there will never be a sweeter love than the love of Jesus in your life. So just jump into that. What would it look like for us? We need to wrap up, and so I'm going to invite Pastor Greg as we end here to close out the service. But man, I just, I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit for just a second. And I just feel like, I feel on my heart right now, there's somebody in here or somebody watching online. And um, there is, there's a medical issue with uh, someone's kid. And I'm, you know, I just, this is what I feel like God's put on my heart. So I'm not going to make a show of it. But I just felt like God wanted to say this specific word to someone in the place today. You have, you're concerned about your child. You're concerned about your child. And you're wondering where God is in the midst of this. I just feel like God wants to remind you he loves your child more than you do. He's the first father. And he knows what it's like to watch his son suffer. And he loves your son more than you can ever imagine. He just wants to let you know that he's in this with you. You're in it together. Jesus, we thank you so much that you love us, God, more than we can imagine. So in Jesus' name, right now, we place our faith on that truth that God's love for us is real and it will create new devotion in our life in Jesus' name. I love how the Lord says in that passage, remember the height from which you have fallen. He wants to put us back in the joy of our first love. So what would it look like for you to buy flowers for God this week? Think of that woman who brought that alabaster jar of perfume, poured it on his feet like Darius said. Nobody told her to do that. Nobody made her do that. It wasn't a commandment. It was her first love. And when she did it, it restored her to the height. That's what God wants for me and for you. So now would you stand with me, church? And let me ask God's blessing on us. May the love of God the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love.